This is a Hot Pie Original. Hi, this is Pat Pearson, and you're listening to a podcast called Stop Self Sabotage, brought to you by Hot Pie Media. Many of us remember the musical Cabaret. And in Cabaret, they have a song called Money. And the man comes out and he starts singing, Money Makes the World Go Round. Well, it's really true. We all have to deal with money and our issues around money. We're going to be looking at what is your money script? What is that made up of? What are those beliefs that you have about money? And how do they influence your ability to be successful? Well, first of all, let's talk about your beliefs. The beliefs about money come from the messages that we hear out there in the world, most importantly from our parents and then from our culture and the religion we grew up in, the media, everywhere. Here are some of the beliefs that you probably have heard, messages around money. Money is the root of all evil. Money talks. Living well is the best revenge. Put your money where your mouth is. Money doesn't grow on trees. A penny saved is a penny earned. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. You can never be too thin or too rich. What you give, you will receive. Whoever dies with the most toys wins. Now, these are all cliches, but they're messages. And in those messages, there are statements about how we feel about money. In the real world, cliches and beliefs are at odds with one another. We're fed a steady diet of inconsistencies and blatant contradictions. Listen to some of these. Earning money is good. Having too much of it is bad. Women should find men with money, but marry only for love. Men should work hard to raise the standard of living of their families, but even a lot of money is never finally enough. Men should be providers, but women should be equal partners. Women should be successful in work, but shouldn't earn more than their husbands. So we're in a money belief crisis. There are all kinds of contradictions about money, and all that comes into us and becomes part of our belief system. Now, these beliefs that we have about money were internalized before age five. That's when our belief system is created for all of us. And we took an 18-year course in money from our parents. So we learned about how they felt about money. And those beliefs usually became ours. So we're going to look at what those beliefs are and how they contribute to either having permission to be successful or having a message in ourselves that holds us back from success and makes it a self-sabotage and be frustrated around money. So the first aspect is our beliefs and permission from our past and the loyalty that we feel to our histories. Permission from our past has to do with those messages we heard from our parents because they were the primary people that we grew up with, that we paid attention to, that we believed about their beliefs. And these inputs became uh, our thoughts around money. Now, to get in touch with this and some of the permission from your past, I want to ask you to have a little trip in Back to the Future with me. And that is I want you to remember, try to think back when you were an adolescent, and I want you to think about something you really wanted. It could be a new prom dress. It could be a pony. It could be going to Christian uh, day camp or summer camp. It could be new shoes, whatever it was. I want you to think about something you really wanted between ages 12 and 18. And I want you to see yourself and hear what was said when you asked your dad for what you wanted. Hear what the response was. Now, I'd like you to do the same thing with your mother. I'd like you to hear and see yourself asking her for what you wanted and hear what her response was. Now, what were the feelings in your household around money? Was there feelings of abundance or was it very scarce? Did you have to struggle? Were there feelings that you could have what you want or that you shouldn't even ask? So many of these feelings we've internalized before age five and they keep going on inside of us. 
Now, I want you to think of those two messages you got from your parents about money, and I'd like you to think about how that relates to your business today. Are you still living out those messages? Most of us, if we haven't updated those beliefs, are living the same beliefs that we grew up with. So essentially, we have a five-year-old running our businesses because those beliefs were internalized before age five. Let me give you some examples on how all this works. You know, I do business coaching, and with my clients, I've been working with this whole issue about money because it's so important in terms of success if we have permission to be successful or if we don't. And with the coaching clients, I want to tell you a couple of their stories. I worked with a gal named Sally, and Sally had an interesting script. She made a lot of money, but in her family, you shouldn't make money because it, you became too big for your britches. That was one of the statements. And so she made a huge commission check, and she brought it home to show her mother. Her mother's first response was, don't show your father. Because in that family, you shouldn't brag about making money. You should be ashamed of it. And too much money was bad. You needed to hide your success. Now, you can imagine that this threw Sally into some kind of uh, distress because she was a very successful gal. And until she resolved that script, she kept making money and then not making it again. She would get successful and then she would lose it because she didn't have permission to feel good about her success. I work with a gal named Linda. And in her family, she couldn't ask for what she wanted because she wouldn't get it anyway. So she decided that it was just better not to ask. Because every time she asked, her father got mad and her mother cried, and that made her feel bad. So she learned not to ask, and certainly not to ask for herself. Now, fast forward 30 years. She's trying to work hard and build a business, and she still has tremendous trouble in asking. She can't bring herself to ask for herself and to get people to rally around a goal that might have something to do with her getting something in the process. So she feels badly about that. That is a lack of permission from her past. Let me give you another example. Tony. And Tony had a particularly different challenge, and that was her belief was, I'll never have enough. I'll always have to struggle. Now, the effect on her business from that belief was that she prejudged everybody before she would offer them the opportunity. She prejudged them to see if they needed it. And if they didn't need it, if she decided they didn't need it or that they couldn't spend the money for it, she wouldn't ask them. That belief limited her ability to approach a number of different women and give them the business opportunity, as you can understand. But her loyalty was to her parents because she learned with them that she'll never have enough. You'll always have to struggle. So she made sure that her business reflected that. And as she said, I've become my mother. Now, the new permission that she would need in that would be to turn those messages around. We're going to talk about how to do that. But first of all, let me share with you one of my messages from growing up. My dad was a successful businessman, and my mom was a homemaker and a teacher. But my dad never believed women could make money. They were to be around to be good mothers and good wives. And, you know, he loved us and loved my mom. But he didn't believe money was part of the component. He believed he was the only one that could make money. Now, the problem with that is that my dad came out of the Depression. And, of course, he had those belief systems. But I live now, and I chose to make my own money. Now, that was a struggle because there's part of me that when I listen to my dad's input says, you can't do it. You're not going to be successful. And when I listen to that, I get demotivated. I go and dust. If I'm really depressed, I vacuum, but I don't do my business. And I think that's what happens to all of us. If we listen to these negative scripts, these negative lack of permission, we fold, we feel uh, despair, and we don't keep going with what we know we need to do to make our business work. Now, in my scenario, one of the things I had to handle before I got to be successful was to deal with that message that I had internalized from my dad. And how I did that was I came up with a new affirmation, and that is the counter to these negative messages. The affirmation was, I love and honor my father, and I choose to be successful because it makes me feel good. 
But one of the things that happens is that you have to first have the awareness of what the message is. Then you have to have an antidote if it was a negative message. So in the example of Tony, her permission, her new message needed to be, I love and honor my mother and I choose to work smart and do very well rather than struggling and not getting anywhere. And in terms of all of us, you need to take the antidote, which is the opposite of the negative information, craft a new affirmation that says, I now choose, and then put in the positive statement. So think about yourself. Think about your money script. Where in it, in your world, were you told that you can't be successful? The other thing we have to realize is that we're all loyal to our messages from our parents, but the loyalty doesn't have to extend to living out their lives. We don't have to do it exactly the way they did it to still love them. So in many affirmations, particularly around money, we have to put in, I love and honor my parents and I choose my own path or a different way or whatever you want to say. So that's the antidote. The permission from your past is a very interesting issue, and it affects everybody in different ways. Another issue we want to look at in terms of your belief systems about money is the whole issue of abundance beliefs versus scarcity beliefs. Now, we all know our belief system is what focuses our energy and our thought, because if we believe something, it is true for us. And if you hold a belief in scarcity, what that really means is that you are negatively focused and you're being fear-driven around the issue of money. And what that does to us inside of ourselves is it makes us contract. It's like, think about if you saw a mouse and it scared you, you kind of shriek and you, and you jump up and you contract in. Well, scarcity and believing in scarcity does the same thing in your energy as that would do physically if you saw a mouse. So one of the beliefs that we would have if you believed in scarcity would be there's not enough or it'll always be a struggle to make money. Or I can't be successful like fill in the blank, my sister or my manager or my friend, whatever. Or I don't deserve it. I can work hard, but I can't ever get anywhere. These are the beliefs that reflect a scarcity system. Now, within that system, you would also have what's called a worry racket. Well, when we worry, we obsess. We go over and over the same thought without a positive outcome. That's the definition of obsession or worrying. Like we watch the stock market every day and we get depressed every morning when it dips. Or we call our bank account to find out how much money we have in there and we worry and we only notice what we lack. That is all part of the worry racket. We worry about our debt obsessively. That creates more fear more contraction, more negative thinking, and it doesn't move us towards action. So scarcity has to do with being unpresent centered. You're either worried about the past or projecting the past into the future and worrying about tomorrow. And you're also holding on to the old fears and concerns rather than having a new action plan. You know, there's a phrase I like that I think fits for all aspects of life, whether it be love, career, or family. And the phrase is, scared money don't win. Scared energy doesn't win because that will come through in your energy system. So one of the issues is we need to move from scarcity beliefs to abundance beliefs. Now, abundance or believing in abundance means that you're a positive, you're life-oriented, and you create an expansion of your energy rather than a contraction because being positive expands you, means you feel better, you breathe deeper, you're happier, you have more energy. And that gets created inside of us by what we believe. And then we look around in the world and we look at all the great things that this life has to offer. You know, the beautiful flowers, the great food, the abundance of the conveniences of our lives. And we start to focus on what's right. It's that old phrase about the glass being half full or half empty. We focus on the half full. And that focus creates the feeling inside of us, the energy of abundance. We live in the moment versus worrying about the past or being scared about the future. And we ask ourselves a very important issue, and that is, 
What can I do today to help myself financially? That is an action-oriented issue. It moves us rather than holding us back. We have the courage to let go of fear and reach toward a better today, choosing action over obsessing and worrying. And you know, one of the interesting things I heard from a gal who told me that she went to a church service and the minister was talking about how to handle money. I love this. He said, you have to bless each bill you pay and then release them. So be happy that you have the money to pay your bills or whatever bills you can pay. And instead of noticing the lack or the scarcity, be happy for what you have, bless it, release it, and then say to yourself, I'm grateful to have this money to pay this bill, and I'm grateful to receive back from life all the money I need to live fully. Those positive affirmations, those statements about money that are positive moves us towards the acquisition of money and away from the fear of it. So what are some positive affirmations about money? Well, if you catch yourself in fear of thoughts about money, and we all have them, you can say cancel, stop, and then put in a new positive thought. Here's something to think about. I'm attracting all the money I need to live a wonderful life while helping other women reach their full potential. Or I'm enjoying all the abundance of life in the financial world, in the physical world, in the health world, and in my personal relationships. Once again, we choose our beliefs. You move from scarcity to abundance. You believe and affirm abundance. And amazingly enough, things start moving your way. Abundance, something we all want and we all truly deserve. And basically what we're looking at is our belief systems and how we have either gone into a category called scarcity or we've gone into a category called abundance. Now what I'm going to do right now is outline for you some of the scarcity beliefs and on the other side, some of the abundant beliefs so that you can get a taste of where some of your thoughts fall. I can guarantee you that we all have scarcity beliefs and that we're challenged to move towards abundance. And we're going to talk about how you do that. First of all, let me define some terms. Scarcity, I define as being fear-based. We believe in scarcity that there's a lack of outcomes, a lack of love, a lack of money, a lack of health, and that we may not get enough of it. So there's a feeling that there's not enough. Now, on the other side, in terms of abundance, abundance is love-based. It's based on the belief that there's plenty in the world, plenty of money, plenty of time, plenty of hope, plenty of love, and there's more than enough for everyone so that it's not an either or experience. You can have what you want and have other people have what they want. That is an abundant belief. Now, under scarcity, there's a language of scarcity. And listen to some of these words and see if they make sense in terms of scarcity. I can't. I should. I won't. Someone else can do it, but not me. What's wrong with me? Those are scarcity decisions and scarcity words. On the other side, abundant words are, I deserve it. I'm having fun. I choose. It's easy. It's going to happen. Let's go back to scarcity again. The physical signs of scarcity are these. Contraction, tenseness, being worried all the time, harried, frustrated, and feeling despair. On the physical side of abundance, what you see is people who are open, who are expansive, who are having a good time. They believe that life can be easy. It doesn't have to be a struggle. And they're full of hope. Now, going back to scarcity, we're looking at a belief system that has as its basis comparison. We compare ourselves to other people and we always put ourselves down. We also have a belief in cutthroat competition and there's a judgment quality in there. We judge ourselves. We're either a winner or a loser. There's no other options. And most of the time, if we're thinking of scarcity and we're paying attention to who's doing better than we are, we are always feeling like a loser. On the other side, in abundance, there's cooperation. There's trust. There's a feeling of being in the flow. 
And I mean by flow is feeling that things are going well, that you're in a energy that's moving you towards what you want. Maybe you don't have it right now, but you're in the right place of acceptance to get it. So you're in the flow. In abundance, the belief is there's a win-win. I can win and you can win. It's not either or, it's both and. So there's no lack of winning ability. There's no lack of success in abundance beliefs. On the other side, scarcity, people who are in scarcity try to control their lives and other people because they feel certain that if they don't control things, it's going to turn out badly. So they have some issues around being perfect and they feel stuck in one place all the time going around and around and around. In abundance belief, you feel energized, you feel excited about the endless possibilities and you accept yourself rather than trying to control all of life. You accept what is and instead of being perfect, you choose to be excellent. The interesting thing is that all of us have challenges in this area. In a minute, I'm going to give you some examples of people I've worked with in terms of scarcity beliefs that have changed them to abundant beliefs. But here are two questions for you. Number one, what are you doing to yourself to keep yourself from abundance right now? Answer that in your mind. And number two, what can you do to change and to move towards more abundance? I'm going to talk to you about some of the case studies about scarcity and abundance, changing scarcity to more abundant thinking. Your thoughts and your self-talk are either your most powerful skills for success or your worst enemy. Over and over in all my clients, I see skilled people sabotaging themselves with their toxic thoughts and fear-based predictions. Everyone who isn't producing the results that they want is sabotaging with scarcity thoughts and feelings. Now think about that for a minute. Are you getting all the results you want in your business, in your life, and in your health? If the answer is no, then part of the reason is your scarcity beliefs. And how you can tell if you're in scarcity is that you don't feel good about whatever area it's addressing. If you're in scarcity with your business, you don't feel good. You don't think your business is really going the way it should. You feel out of sync. You don't feel like you're producing to the level that you really want to produce. If you're in scarcity in your marriage, you're thinking about everything that's wrong with them. You're thinking about how they annoy you, how they don't pick up after themselves, how everything that they do is really an irritation. If indeed you were in scarcity about your health, you were focused on all your ills, all your aches, all your pains, everything that is wrong with you. And as you focus on it and think about it over and over again, you set up a reciprocal response from life. And that means that you attract back to yourself what you think about. If it is predominantly negative, guess what? That's what you get. Your challenge is to turn those thoughts around and create abundant thoughts to move yourself to the place that you truly want to live. We all want the best. So how do we, with our thoughts and feelings, attract the best? Well, first, we understand and take responsibility that we attract back to us what we think and feel about the most. We hear this statement in many of our slogans for life, believe and you will achieve. What they don't say is that you achieve exactly what you already believe. And that is, if you don't like it, you need to change your feelings and thoughts. Believe differently and you have to achieve differently. I think intuitively we all know this. There are days for most of us that just go right. Positive, good feelings, everything works. Then... There are those bad hair days, then nothing works. I was reading an article that quoted a Methodist minister, and I think he summed it up nicely. He said, I discovered a new thing in the Lord's Prayer that kind of hit me. On earth as it is in heaven, to me means whatever you take into the world, you attract back. 
like those days when you're fighting with people inside and you can't calm yourself down and suddenly you get pulled over by the, the police and everything goes wrong in the same day because you created it. So if you get heaven within you, it'll be all around you. If the negativity is within you, it will also be all around you. It's created within us first. The choices are very simple. Scarcity, fear-based thinking, or abundance, love-based thinking. Now, how do I see this in all the people that I work with? Well, I see it in all of us. There are four steps to increasing your abundance. Number one, identify what you don't want first. Everybody knows what they don't want. We could sit down and go probably for hours on all the things we don't want, but we need to identify them for the purpose only of turning them around to what we do want. If we stay focused on what we don't want, we attract it. And that is the law of attraction. You attract back what you most think about. And all of us who are in, I don't want this or I don't want that, we are drawing that to ourselves because we are focusing our energy and attention on it. Let me give you some some examples. One of my uh, clients, Connie, said, I'm getting what I'm dreading. And she's absolutely right. I love that phrase. Because she was feeling all the things that were wrong with her business. She went on and on about everything that doesn't work and isn't happening and what people aren't doing. And guess what? She was getting more and more of it. Let me give you some other examples. Here's a statement. I don't want to fail. So I don't do anything. And I fail. And so we're focusing on what we don't want. We don't want to fail. So what do we attract back? Failure. Because we freeze and don't do anything. I don't want to make my relationship worse with my mother, my manager, my husband. So I don't tell them my real feelings. Well, if you don't tell people your feelings, you make the relationship worse. Now, there are some hidden negatives that we think are positive and kind of sound positive, but really because the focus is on the negative, create that negative outcome. Let me give you these. I don't want to be in debt. Well, none of us want to be in debt, but what are you focusing on? The debt. So you get more of it. We think they're positive, but in reality, they aren't because the focus keeps you stuck in the negative struggle. I don't want to gain any more weight. What are you focused on? Gaining weight. These are the ways that we subtly sabotage ourselves. Now let's talk about how to increase your abundance. There are four specific and very easy steps. Number one, I want you to identify what you don't want. Now the only reason to do this is to get clear about what we're already saying to ourselves. We are very focused on what we don't want. Every one of us knows it. We want to get it out of us. And the only reason to do this is so we can go to number two, which is to turn around what we don't want to what you do want. Now, I'd like you to put these do wants in a positive statement with I choose or it's easy or I deserve. Those are abundant phrases. They are powerful words that help you move towards what you do want to help to be created. Number three, I want you to feel excited and a positive about your statements. Check out your inner dialogue. If you don't believe the goal, you are blocking it. You must feel it and feel good about it. Now, I can't stress this enough because if we're writing goals that we don't believe, then our inner dialogue cancels the goal and affirms the negative. That's another hidden negative that we think we're being positive, but in reality, we're attracting what we don't want. So let's say you have a goal. If you say the goal and then your self-talk is immediately negative, like you say something like, Never in a million years will that happen, or I can't do that, or I'm not sure I deserve to do that. You end up affirming what you don't want. So the key in this part of the steps to abundance is to make sure you are saying a statement that you believe and that you feel good about. If you believe it and if you feel excited about it, your integrity and you're in the right energy to make the abundance happen. No matter what you say, If you don't believe it and are canceling it with negatives, you are out of your integrity and you will not create the goal. So if you don't believe your goals, 
then you need to change it to something you can believe. Now, in my experience doing coaching, I found that sometimes people say goals that they think they should say and that they don't really believe or think it's possible. Many times people say numbers that they don't believe. My suggestion here is to change those goals to a process. So instead of saying a specific goal, if it makes you feel bad, you need to find a process goal, which means you're moving towards that goal, but in a way that makes you feel good. So let's say you say, I'm now making $5,000 a month and your inner dialogue is, oh, never in a million years, or I'll never do that, or I can't, you know, someone else can. So you need to change that to, I am creating all the abundance I need to fuel my lifestyle. Now that's a process. It doesn't have a specific number on it, but it's moving you in the direction of where you want to go. Also, when you say a specific number, you limit yourself to that number. So we're working inside of you to get you in your integrity, in alignment with your beliefs and move you step by step to abundance. Try this exercise. Close your eyes. And at this moment, I want you to say this to yourself. I have the innate power to change the direction of my life. Take a deep breath and feel that. I can change my life. I can choose more abundance. I choose, put your statement in here, then feel the excitement and joy of making your dreams and goals happen. See it happen. Whatever that goal is, see yourself on stage, see yourself winning, see yourself losing weight, see yourself going on a trip. Anything that makes you excited. Feels pretty good, huh? This is the place that you need to return to over and over again. 20 times a day, you can close your eyes and feel this excited, positive place. The antidote to scarcity and scarcity beliefs is to move to gratitude and excitement and be able to receive them and claim them as your birthright. Number four, expect it to happen. Words have power. So craft your affirmations in the most positive way. Here's some of the specific words to use to accelerate you moving towards abundance. I deserve to have blank. Fill in the blank. Now make up your own. It needs to feel good to you, be positive, and keep you focused. Now, there's another important issue in terms of increasing abundance, and that is we have to be open to receiving it. You know, you can get in the flow of giving and giving and giving, and if you don't receive back, basically you cut off the return of the abundance. Many of us block the flow of receiving. We're very happy with giving. We give and give and give until we fall over in a heap, but we feel bad or we don't allow ourselves to deserve to receive it back in terms of energy, in terms of love, in terms of money. And that blocking to receiving is what keeps us stuck. So you're going to be doing everything right, but if you refuse to take it back inside of yourself, if you refuse to deserve the very best and increased abundance, you will stop it. So how can you open yourself to receive? Well, we have to learn to ask. We have to learn to be okay with what we need and that we have needs and other people have needs and we're going to have a parity. We're going to have a balance in our giving and receiving. We can work. That's a way of being open to receiving. You go out there and you work, you put in effort and you expect a return. We can pray. We can believe that it will return to us and that we deserve it as we give it. We will take it in and then we complete the cycle then of the law of reciprocity. We give, we receive, and then we really become the true embodiment of the the flow of abundance. Now, these four things, identify what you don't want, turn it to what you do, Feel excited and positive about your goal statement, your affirmation. Really feel it inside of yourself. And number four, expect it to happen. You don't have to act surprised. It's going to happen if you put it out there and if you're open to receiving. These are the steps that will lead you towards an abundant style of life in your work, in your personal life, in your health. And I truly wish you 
all of that. I am here, and I'm so excited to be here with Victoria Collins, who is a PhD in psychology and a certified financial planner. Hi, Victoria. Good Good to be with you. (laughs) Thanks. Share with us a little bit about your background uh, on all our listeners, please. Well, um, I'm a certified financial planner and have been in the business for 22 years, so I've seen a lot of ups and downs. But a certified financial planner really is someone who helps people to identify what their goals are and then to develop a strategy for reaching those goals over time. So it includes investment management, it includes cash flow management, looking at debts, getting rid of debts, but it also looks at um, retirement planning and estate planning. Those are all components that go into financial planning. Right, exactly. And um, I have certainly worked with you and been very helped in my financial life. So uh, you are here because I just am in love with this book and the new book, which I haven't read, but I know it's going to be just absolutely as great. The new book coming out in April is called Best Intentions. Right. And it's a book about estate planning. Mm -hmm. But that's something that everybody has to look at sooner or later. Absolutely. Sure. If you don't plan, then you actually have developed a plan, but it might not be the one you want. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I work with a lot of women who... are very successful and, and many more who are on their way to being very successful. Now, when some women earn more than their spouses, does that cause problems? It does indeed, but it doesn't need to. Now, it used to be that that was not um, a consideration that even came up because women didn't have the earning capacity that they have today. But today, one-fifth of all women, 22%, earn more than their spouses do. Wow. And I think that's probably even true maybe even more true in some cases when we're in an economic period where you really need both incomes. Right. So it is a problem when it is a kick in the in the guy's ego. For a lot of men, what I earn is what I'm worth. And that's been perpetuated over the centuries. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the power and self-esteem that men have is directly related to their earning capacity. When that's diminished, they may feel inadequate, and then that begins to show in a lot of behaviors. And so it's even more challenging for a woman to experience her financial capability, but not damage the relationship in any way. So now how can um, a woman understanding all that and, of course, wanting her husband to feel good about himself, but also wanting to contribute and knowing that the family needs it, how can she help him reduce some of this conflict that is out there? Well, I think communication is really the key. So a woman can help to facilitate the situation by being open and sensitive to her husband's needs and issues. Right. By showing him, demonstrating that, in fact, they're a team and her earning capacity actually allows them to do more things together. So she can point out the benefits to him of what's happening rather than the threat of what's happening. So do you think that just helping him talk about what the potential uh, feelings, his feelings are about this will reduce the conflict? I do. But I think also if, um, uh, you know, within the within the relationship, there are certain roles and responsibilities around managing the finances, making investment decisions, getting ready for tax time, managing the inflows and outflows, doing the research for whatever financial decisions they need to make. So I think that if she is perhaps earning more than he's earning, um, maybe some of those responsibilities that help to get them organized and have a sense of financial well-being could fall on his shoulders. In other words, when they divide up the the tasks, he could have more of the tasks that give him satisfaction and that give him a sense of knowing what's going on and and receiving acknowledgement for Doing a, a job for well doing done. it, a yeah. job well done, and and then the redefinition that this is a team effort that yeah. we are partners. I think that's so important. That we that it's not your your money versus my money. Mm-hmm. It is our money. So right. that there's not a um, uh, you're good if you produce or you're bad if you mm-hmm. don't produce. That this is a joint effort. Yeah, a joint effort, and as much as possible to look at other ways of feeling self-esteem that in other words to to lessen the relationship between um, uh, 
and self-esteem. And so you need to feel good about yourself and find ways of feeling good about yourself. And so maybe it's a hobby that they develop together, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's whatever it is, golf, tennis, Mm -hmm. um, Maybe he plays the piano and she encourages him to do more of that because he does that really well. Right. And that's a self-esteem builder. Right. And so to, to break this kind of cultural thing we've got into that uh, you are what you make, mm-hmm. because the truth mm-hmm. is none of our souls have anything to do with, with the amount exactly. of income we brought in. Exactly. And um, Pat, I know that there are some, for example, it's the career that a person is in. For example, he might be a teacher and making a huge contribution to the yeah. people that he works with. Maybe he's teaching, you know, middle school or elementary school even. Right. Teachers don't make much money, but they well, are making they a yeah. huge contribution oh, and they're being inspirational to a number of lives. Yes. Whereas she might be a computer programmer and making a ton of money and not having interaction with people. And so, you know, it's... We need to recognize that different jobs, different categories of jobs pay different amounts of money. But the real worth is the amount of satisfaction you get and the amount that you can really feel that you're contributing to whatever values you have. With women having more earning power, um, they want to be more involved in the financial decision-making, whereas previously, you know, in past centuries, my mother, your mother, they didn't play as active a role as today's women are. Well, we're really the first generation, if you think about it. We are. We're forging new territory. That's right. It's sometimes quite challenging to do that. But one thing that I suggest that that I've heard from clients works is to have, if, for example, they have a lot of difficulty talking about money, to set aside one time a week that they know that for 45 minutes or whatever time they set, but it's within a time frame. So they know they've made an appointment. They know they're going to focus on money. They know there's going to be no blame during this conversation. There's really an exchange of fact. And then they come up with an agreement at the end of the meeting and they write it down. You know, just like when you go into a board meeting or you serve on any committee, you write thing, you summarize your, right. The notes, the notes. Mm -hmm. So I had one client who developed uh, or over time, they had an agreement book. And every time they made a financial agreement, they would write it down. In doing so, I I thought it was brilliant, and it worked for them. In doing so, they actually were able to capsulize what they wanted to say, because by writing it down, they could both be sure that they agreed on it. Whereas if you you and I say something to each other, and we're married, we might have totally different perceptions of what (laughs) that means. Exactly. Because we all have different styles, we get in conflict, not just over the issue of money, but maybe I have a style of love and my husband has a style of power. And so we're, we're in a stylistic conflict over money mm-hmm. right there because of our beliefs and our values right. we brought into it. So let me, let me segue just a second and ask you about that in your, in your book about couples and money. You talked about the four different styles mm-hmm. of, um, of handling money. Can you tell us a little bit about those? And I just alluded to two of them. Yes. Well, I think that we each have what I call money motivators and they do develop into styles because there are factors. And that's not to say that we're not a combination because most of us have some components of each of these styles, but I'm talking about what is it that motivates us most in the way we manage our money. Right. For example, I might work very, very hard and very often because I want to have freedom in my life. Mm-hmm. So I would use my money for, uh, for travel. That's, you know, that's to me is a top value. My husband, on the other hand, you mentioned power. A lot of men have the issue of making money for power. Mm-hmm. And so they would be um, driven to use money in a way to make a status point, to have materialistic things, to have a big house, big car, big whatever it is, um, toys for boys kinds of things. I'm not, I'm not pointing the finger at, at men yes, because there no. are women who do this as well. Yeah. But what I found in my research is that women tend to use money more for security and for the expression of love. Right. So there are relationship, people who are relationship driven, people who are security driven, and they're the savers, and we all know those people. Right. And there are people who, um, use money for power. So it's power, freedom, security, and relationship. 
Those are the four styles. Those are the four main styles. Right. And what happens... Pat, when two styles come together that are different, and mm-hmm. I think that's most often true because one, opposites often attract, but two, there's no way in the world that we could all have the same scripts from the past, what our parents told right. us, what our experiences were to make us who we are today. Mm-hmm. So we, as an adult, we bring with us a whole set of values and beliefs and attitudes. And that determines our style. So if two people are very different, like say, for example, um, my husband's a spender and I'm, I'm motivated by security. Mm-hmm. Then every time he goes out and spends on something, I might feel threatened. I might feel uncomfortable. Right. And yet I might nag and that would make him uncomfortable when he goes out and spends. So that's a potential for a conflict that could drive us apart and cause a divorce. Right. Now, if there's blame in the situation, whereby we each blame each other, then what happens, we'll move farther out on this imaginary line between spending and saving. And as we each have to defend our positions, we become more entrenched in those positions. Now, that's fascinating. That's right. So we polarize. Yeah, we don't soften. We don't say, oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. honey, maybe you're right. I am spending a little too much, (laughs) which would be my side of the the equation. And maybe I should back off. I think about, well, you know, you made me mad, so I'm going to go buy something Yes, exactly. Like, so, you know, and, and make it right that yeah. you do have, yeah, you know, so well, I earn the money, I get to spend, totally so justified. there you no, are. No, that's a power play. It is. We a, know that. Absolutely a power play. So what works better is to diffuse some of that. And you, you pointed it out so well. And so, for example, if I'm a spender, I might say, well, you know, you've got a good point. We really have been going through a lot of money lately. And... um Let's do a cash flow. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm a saver, I might say, you know, um, it's true. We we don't have to save quite as much. I think we could spend a little bit more and maybe have a little bit more enjoyment in our life. I understand what you're saying. So agree with a little agree bit. Agree with a little side. bit. Yes. Or move a small increment. Yeah. Let the other person know. Empathize with the other person. Let them know that they're not wrong. Right. You know, we're not wrong in this situation. We're just different from each other. There are many rights. And we need to this. respect yes. that the other person, his or her belief system is right. what they grew up with. Well, and, and you know, the, the fascinating thing that I see is we really do attract many times the people we need. If we're mm-hmm. a spender and if we know in our heart of hearts that we really are not saving as much as we should and that we really should be a little bit more uh, attention to detail and a little bit more... Uh, you know, uh, security oriented, then what they're basically doing when they say that is they're showing us our shadow selves. Mm-hmm. You know, they're giving, they're giving voice to that part of us that we don't like to listen to. Mm-hmm. And know? that maybe we need to develop that more. That maybe of. we do need that there is a dialogue here. There is a, uh, uh there's an uh, attraction of opposites that has a good synthesis in it. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of taking a defensive position, maybe we just need to agree a little bit, you know, or we entertain and, it. And again, by agreeing, with the part that's acceptable to us or by respecting, showing that we respect the other person for who and what they are, even though their spending styles are different. different. Um, What tends to happen then, interestingly enough, is that people move toward more toward each other. Right. And and so then, you know, the the conflict is reduced. Exactly. Well, attribution. um, In other words, do we take credit when we've done well? And do we uh, blame ourselves when something hasn't gone right? There is an interesting gender difference because men would react differently in the same kind of situation. Okay, tell us about that. Well, an example is in the investment world, if investments go well, a man will say, well, you know, I've made this great choice and either either he made great stock selections or he made a great advisor selection. Mm -hmm. If something goes wrong, a man is more likely to blame outside of himself, Mm -hmm. whereas as women, the exact opposite is true. Mm -hmm. If something goes well, if we chose a good stock or we chose a good advisor, we'll more likely attribute it to luck, um, uh, fortuitous meeting, you know, we read the right book, we did whatever. We listened to the right financial program. But if something goes wrong, we're more likely to blame ourselves. Right. It is 
absolutely true that we tend to look at it and rather than acknowledge that, hey, here's where we are, we say, oh, gee, I didn't do this this much this way. Exactly, exactly. So that's not a very good motivational style. It doesn't help us feel good about ourselves. It's not. And it doesn't help us move us towards making more. But Pat, we've been socialized to do this for years and years and years. But the fact is, everybody's lives are different. You may be making less because you have other kinds of commitments, your family is growing up, you have young children. So there may be things that don't allow you to succeed as much as this person who made phenomenal amounts. Right. So you need to look at your situation and perhaps, and be more forgiving to yourself. Exactly. I think that's really the issue. And then we always compare ourselves up. Most people don't say, well, heck, I'm better than the 4,000 other mm-hmm. people who haven't no, gotten don't. anything. You know? <laughs> no. So we don't, we don't give an equal comparison. We compare up, feel bad. We don't compare down and say, well, look how better, much better I'm doing yes. than I and look was what doing. I've accomplished. Yeah. So we need to take credit for what we accomplished exactly. as well. Yeah, and, that's and, such an important point. And, it's, and I think money and energy are all together, don't you? They are. They yeah. absolutely are. And actually money and power, too, are flip sides of the same coin. Tell us about that. What do you think about that? Well, um, money, I think, is the tangible side and power is the intangible. Many people use power um through money. In other words, they either spend or they withhold. And I've seen this a lot of times in, uh, say, a divorce situation where a husband will absolutely not send the check on time mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he's he wants to show that he still has power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's a way of getting back at. Mm-hmm. And so that's one example. Another example is that I had a situation where the husband was having affairs and the wife went out and ran up the credit cards. Mm-hmm. So this was her way of taking combating that, mm-hmm. um, that tremendous hurt, um, by using money. Right. So I think they are, uh, flip sides of the same coin. Um, money and energy, I think that's a very interesting concept. You brought it up. Well, you know what? One of the things I see about money is that the truth is that in all of our lives, that there's abundance out there mm-hmm. in terms of money, in terms of love. But many of us believe in scarcity. And because we believe in scarcity, we can contract our energy. We contract what we believe is possible uh, in our world. And because we're shrinking it, we're putting less energy into it so we get less out. Exactly. And then we just say, well, that's the way it is, you know. So energy becomes money. Mm-hmm. You know, you get depressed, you get constricted, you withhold your, your energy for whatever circle. reason. You're sick. Um, then your business suffers. Mm-hmm. So I think it. Uh, it's and then the more your business suffers, the more you suffer and then... It's a circular argument. Circular argument. Yeah. And, um, and I do think that's absolutely true. And I've seen, and I'm sure you've observed too, that we as women, if we don't have a clear picture of ourselves as successful, if we don't believe we can be successful, we sometimes sabotage our very own success. Yes. Yes. And we do that sometimes consciously, sometimes totally unconsciously. And what you said about being sick or about not putting the energy into it, those are ways that we can sabotage ourselves. Exactly. Exactly. And there's a financial cost for those beliefs. There absolutely is. So, and and one of the easiest things people can do, I know people say to me, well, I don't have the money. Well, part of it, and I'm sure that's true, but I think part of it is that you can change your belief about having the money. And interestingly enough, paradoxically, sometimes that changes the flow Mm -hmm. of money. And more money comes into your life. Yes. yes. And it is, it, look at it this way. It's about investing in yourself. Yes. So people who say, well, I don't have the money to do the advertising. I don't have the money to make the calls I need to, or, or buy travel. Buy a book called Best or Intentions. Or buy a book, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, if I, uh, they really are, if they invested in themselves by by additional training, by additional whatever it takes, right. um, then more money will come and then they'll be more successful and then they'll go on. So, you yeah. know, it, it really is a self-fulfilling prophecy. It is. And it's hard to break through people's belief mm-hmm. systems about that, but it is indeed. Now, in your book, um, you talked about hidden investments. Tell me about that. Well, a hidden investment that I know I experienced when I was growing up is my parents' thriftiness. They were ultra-thrifty. Hidden hidden investments are those 
messages that are in our brains mm-hmm. that direct our behavior. Right. Okay. So we all have them and we're not aware of them. Right. I call them permission from your past. But permission yes. from your past. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I call them hidden investments along the line of finance. Yeah. Okay. Because they are, they are messages that direct our interactions with money, how we use money today. Mm-hmm. And they can be culturally instilled. As I, as we mentioned earlier, women are socialized in a certain way that's different from the way men are socialized. Okay. They can come from your parents. They can come from um, primary family, other family members. Mm-hmm. They can come from the modeling. We, we see, we observed our parents and how they interacted on money and how they spent the kinds of arguments or discussions that they had. So hidden investments are hopes, dreams, fears, concerns, what drives us. And what I find is that when couples come into my office or individuals come into my office to do financial planning or investment management, they bring with them two financial files. Mm-hmm. One that we can lay out on the table and see and touch and feel. And that's the brokerage statements, the bank statements, the um, tax returns, their portfolios. Those we can see and quantify. They also bring with them another financial file that's just as relevant and just as important, but we can't see or touch or feel it. Exactly. And that's the hopes and dreams. And if we don't integrate those two, there's no financial plan that we can make that's really going to work satisfactorily. Right. right. Or, or their, or their beliefs, positive and negative. You know, and I think if you, um, um, if you scratch some of these money fights people have, they're really fights over archaic belief systems. Oh, that is so true. You know, it and it may not have anything is. to do with now. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I tell my husband, I said, honey, you know, we're not living in the Great Depression. I mean, I know you're, you know, your belief system was formed by parents who came out of that and still continues. But it's just, um, it, it needs updating. We all need updating. We all need updating because the messages from the past. I know mine from my parents pay off the mortgage, keep a stash of silver. Just in case anything happens. Hi ho. Hi yeah. Hi <laughs> Well, silver coins. I know. Or gold bullion. No, I understand. I mean, or under the know, bed. Those are not. Yeah, those are not valid <laughs> investments in today's environment. Yeah. And if you're a high income earner or any sort of an income earner, chances are you need the mortgage tax deduction because you don't have too many other tax deductions available to right, you. Right. Right. So those old messages are no longer mm-hmm. uh, feasible. And well, another old message that I think a lot of women suffer from that can get in their way of um, investment returns is they are so security driven that they don't want to take any risk in their portfolio. Mm-hmm. Years later, they realize that being in, say, certificates of deposit over a lot of years is a different kind of risk. They've now had an opportunity loss. Right. So, you know, if you say, well, I don't want to lose money, but the obverse of that is I don't want to make money in right. the long term. <laughs> exactly. And actually, you're going to be worse off as you face retirement by not having made money on your money Exactly. than you would have if you had made money and lost money and made money and lost money over time. Yes. Because over time, the upward trend in the stock market. So I guess what I'm saying is that women, one of the biggest mistakes that I've seen women make over the years is they haven't allowed themselves or given themselves permission to take a little bit more risk, but that's because of those hidden messages or scripts from the past. Well, now that's a really good point, Victoria. What are some of the other messages that you see that that either conversely help women or hold them back? I guess you could make a, uh, another scenario that says if you're security-minded and you're frugal, that will help you as well. But to a certain extent. To, yeah, yeah. There's so it's a point all where it hurts. about reaching a balance. Yes. You know, you don't yes. want to be extreme, either extreme spender or extreme saver um, or... Um, and, and in my book, I identify five different variables that are individual traits. Mm-hmm. One is spend save. The other is risk versus being aggressive, you know, being too conservative versus being too aggressive. You want to have a balance. Yeah. You want to have a well-designed portfolio. Mm-hmm. But another is the amount of information. So people might be impulsive or they might be reflective. Either one, you know, too impulsive, too quick to make a decision versus too much stuck in analysis paralysis. Right. right. Both of those hold back women. Right. Especially the analysis paralysis. Right. Um, Another one is, um, and I see this 
as a as a difference in a lot of couples is one of them is very creative in the organization. So all that bill is about an inch and a half down on the stack. <laughs> Whereas the spouse might be a total opposite and knows to the penny where every dollar goes. Uh-huh. And that can drive them crazy. Uh-huh. Now, uh-huh. I see that more as an individual difference rather than a gender difference. Right. So I don't, I'm not saying that holds women back. Uh-huh. But... Um, I think the two areas that hold women back are mostly about around risk, um, also feeling they might not be smart enough to make investments or to, and they, they're so afraid of making a mistake, they yes. don't take the action that's needed. Yes, yes. And that comes from the past. That absolutely is a message that's there in, in your head. Yes. That says because, you're not good enough or you're not smart enough. Well, and that's the message women struggle with, with money predominantly. Mm-hmm. I see it not only in how they're going to invest it, but how they're going to get it in the first place. Exactly. You know, if they believe there, it's possible for them to make more than their parents made or, or yes. to make more than their spouse mm-hmm. makes or to double their income in mm-hmm. a year. I mean, it's all about belief. And a lot of times, and I saw this recently, a lot of times women will say, I'm not as capable as my husband in managing money. I'm not as capable as my husband in making investment decisions. So they defer to their male counterpart. Mm -hmm. Whereas if they gave themselves permission and, you know, with the internet now that levels the playing field, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of information out there so they don't have to be patronized in a, um, in a relationship with a, say a a stockbroker, which used to be a thing of the past. Women were were given very clear messages that they really weren't smart enough. Right. Because all of the conversation by a stockbroker was directed to the husband. All of the decisions were made. It's like buying a car. It's like buying a car. (laughs) (laughs) So there are many challenges we've had. I'm really pleased that we've come as far as we've come. We do have more distance to travel, though, because not every woman feels as confident as she can about money as she should about money. Well, but isn't it statistically, Victoria, after a certain age, aren't women the ones who wield the wealth in this Women, the, um, women in general, statistics show, outlive their spouses by seven years. Um, women in the age group of over 55 are in fact the main, main owners of the wealth in this country, mm-hmm. either because they've been divorced or widowed. Right. And so they are making financial decisions and nine out of every 10 women Nine out of every 10 women will be managing money on their own at some point in their lives. So it behooves us all to, exactly. you know, we no longer have the luxury of putting our heads in the sand and saying somebody's going to take care of us. Right. Prince Charming got lost somewhere along the way. <laughs> he may be a wonderful guy, but he isn't going to take care of us right. for the rest of our lives. Right, right. In fact, yeah. Well said. Well said. Okay. So along those lines of Prince Charming, why do we have such a difficult time talking about money with our spouse? What's that about? Um, because, because again, money is a metaphor for so many things in our lives. It's a metaphor for power. It's a metaphor for self-esteem. It's a metaphor for um, maybe the feelings of scarcity or the feelings of abundance. So it, you know, it represents so many different aspects that are unconscious. So we're not just talking about dollar bills or $20 bills or, you know, what money can buy. We're talking about a whole constellation of emotions that go into this. Yes. So it's not just using a neutral uh, vehicle to purchase what we need in life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It isn't. It's a lot more than that. And that's why it's so hard to talk about Mm -hmm. because we, you know, for example, back to the conversation, if the spouse earns more, I mean, if, you know, if the wife earns more than her husband does, the guy's ego, it's like a kick in the ego for a lot of men. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so then it becomes not a conversation about money. Right. Money's just the metaphor. Money's just the well, metaphor. and I think too that um, we we bring in we transfer onto our partners. I know I had a really frugal father who everything was about money, you know, and he I mean he had a list of how much I cost him over my life. Oh my! So yes, yeah, oh, mm, that took a little therapy, but um, <laughs> I bet it did. So you know, one of my issues is when I start talking about money with my husband, I have to fight not to see my father. Yes, because mm-hmm. I, you know, I, although I've had a lot of training. I understand transference. I understand the issues, but I still can find myself getting angry and defensive when there has been no reason to. 
yes. contemporarily. Yes. It was in my history. Mm-hmm. But I, I play the history into the uh, present. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sure that many of us do that unconsciously. And the more conscious we can get about that and the more we can choose how we want to be and how we want to empower ourselves, I think the probably healthier our discussions will be. Oh, that's absolutely the case. The more awareness you have and the way you get that awareness is with just having a conversation with your spouse in a private situation and say, what do you, you know, how was it in your family? Um, what kind of role did your mom play? What kind of role did your dad play? How much debt did they feel comfortable with? Um, how much debt do you feel comfortable with? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. open-ended questions. And I, I mm-hmm. really recommend that couples have this conversation before they marry. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Um, but sometimes it's awkward. Uh, it's very important to do. But even after marriage, I think it's a good thing to really uh, touch base about those past messages because the more, as you said, the more awareness you have, the, less likely you are to take actions or to say things that are that are based on something that's totally irrelevant right. and yet a very real part of right irrelevant but a part of that money discussion right. you should be able to discuss money um in a neutral way. Well, and, and, and both sides. I mean, for me, I need jerk, uh, sometimes to getting, uh, hostile, but at the same time, um, I have to understand and have empathy for the environment he grew up in that made him see it his way, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's empathy for the other and then awareness for self, mm-hmm. you know? And I think some combination of both, you know, and if you can talk about that, it, it reduces the tension level. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes and all other Hot Pie Media originals baked fresh daily at our home on the web at hotpiemedia.com, the Hot Pie Media YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts.